Coming up on Stew Does America, the New York Times has been attacking the horrible price gougers, fleecing our nation. But are they doing the exact same thing? The Dow is still crashing, we're in crisis, and the media wants you to believe that a guy who can't get through a sentence is the solution. And to bail out or to not bail out? That is the question. Blaze TV's Jason Buttrell is here to answer it for us. Please subscribe, rate, and review. You know, it's great. Whatever. YouTube subscribers, click that bell in the corner to get notifications every time we post a video. You won't regret it much. And if you're watching this program and at least sort of enjoying it, then consider a subscription to Blaze TV, where you can get a ton of great conservative content. Head to blazetv.com stew and make sure you use the promo code stew because that's how they know that you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 10 bucks. By the way, have you noticed, have you noticed that ever since this show started, the entire country has gone down the tubes? You're welcome, America. Stu does America. Ah, yesterday we told you the story of Matt and Noah Colvin, a couple of brothers who were under investigation for buying 17,700 bottles of hand sanitizer and Clorox, Clorox wipes and trying to sell them for a profit. You know, price gouging. Check out yesterday's show for all the details, uh, but we talked through how price gouging is largely a good thing. One of the big reasons for that is because it stops the sort of panic buying in bulk that we've seen the last couple of weeks. That's because it sets the market price at a point that makes people not want to buy more than they need. Panic buys happen when the price is too low. Real world example. I'll give it to you. Every once in a while, Taco Bell does a free taco day. Every one of my examples comes back to Taco Bell, doesn't it? So what happens on free taco day? The place goes insane. It's the one day of the year I don't actually eat at least two meals there. Free is too low a price for a taco, so everyone flocks there. Normal price for hand sanitizer is too low right now, so people clear the store out. But I want to focus on why Matt Colvin is under investigation for price gouging. This article from the New York Times told his story. Story which, incidentally, led to on online harassment, death threats, and an investigation for a person buying some hand sanitizer and trying to sell it on Amazon, as if we don't have bigger problems. I guess my question is, does this really qualify as news? Should the New York Times go to some guy's garage in Tennessee and introduce him to the nation as Satan? The New York Times gets and deserves plenty of criticism, especially from the right. But I'm not a universal hater of everything they do. Some of their work is really solid. Their intricate breakdown of the types of ballot errors included in the Democratic debacle in Iowa's was fantastic. You would love it. And if you haven't seen their minute-by-minute breakdown of the Las Vegas shooting, it's the type of thing that they do really well. Here's a taste of it. Get out of here! There's gunshots coming from over there! Then Paddock fires a fifth burst. It's around 22 bullets in three short volleys. We hear this same burst from a different angle, at the Mandalay, where cab driver Corey Langdon was filming. Here's what it sounds like up close. Our reporting suggests that Paddock was positioned directly above the camera at this point. Then, just 40 seconds later, you can hear very dull and hollow gunfire. Now it sounds like it's coming from um, farther away. These rounds were not picked up by cameras recording in the festival at this time. That, plus our additional analysis, 
suggests this is paddock firing indoors again. I mean, they go through the entire thing minute by minute. It's really, it's, first of all, tough to watch. But also just a really intricate breakdown of all the videos, where they were in that whole scene. I mean, it, they did a really good job putting that together. They do things that are actually good sometimes. But harassing a small businessman about how much Purell he's selling is ridiculous, especially when Purell is not a necessary product during this outbreak. In fact, sanitizer is actually less safe for people to use against COVID-19 than regular soap. How do I know that? The New York Times, of course. Quote, on the whole, hand sanitizers are not as reliable as soap. Sanitizers with at least 60% ethanol do act similarly, defeating bacteria and viruses by destabilizing their lipid membranes. But they cannot easily remove microorganisms from the skin. But it's not about that. It's about profiting off of a tragedy. And that's wrong. We can all agree on that, right? Well, if it is, someone needs to tell the New York Times, because at some level, everyone that covers the news is making money off of tragedy. It's sad, but true. The Times routinely puts their coverage behind a paywall, requiring you to be a paid member to read the urgent breaking news that you might need to read. To their credit, they've moved much of their coronavirus coverage in front of the paywall. And look, this is all part of the news business, and I don't have a problem with it. We're all fine with advertising. It's not like the New York Times is making their money off of overpriced hand sanitizer, right? Wrong. The same company that is destroying the business of a random guy in Tennessee is bringing in revenue from advertisements placed by price-gouging hand sanitizer companies. And it's worse than that. The ads are running in the middle of their coronavirus coverage, and they are specifically targeted to take advantage of the fears of those panicking over COVID-19. Here's a picture of the Times coverage, as you see. Uh, if you're if watching Blaze TV, you can see at the, uh, the top of the header, at the top of the screen, the coronavirus outbreak. What is the ad placed in the middle of the story? Something for J-Swing hand sanitizer? And if you zoom into the commercial itself, you see a before picture with a poor person's hand covered in giant chunks of coronavirus. But then after this magical hand sanitizer, uh, everything is nice and clean. And they give you the tagline, keep your family safe. Now, when you actually click the ad, other than probably getting your computer infected with a totally different kind of virus, you get this. A travel-sized bottle of hand sanitizer for $10. That's actually more than some of the bottles of sanitizer that the evil Matt Colvin was selling on Amazon. And at least Colvin had the name brand stuff. I mean, the Times is, has you overpaying for something called J-Swing brand. I don't, what is that? Click around the site and you'll see uh, more uh, zoomed in scary coronavirus being passed from hand to hand. This one even tries to exploit the fears that sanitizer won't be available in stores when people need it. It includes the totally legitimate product review from Aka Tea, which is definitely a real name. You can tell because Aka is such a common name and most people don't capitalize the first letter of their last name. Aka says, no stock in supermarket. Now, why are people hoarding these products? Why are they hoarding these products at the supermarket? I don't know. Do you know why? They, why do they even go to the supermarket? I don't know what the supermarket is. In fact, these totally legitimate reviews are a common strategy to manipulate these New York Times readers into being price gouged. The, the very, very real person and not a fake person at all, Oliver K. writes, 
Regular hand washing and face mask are the best way to keep the corona away. Sabrina G adds the justification for accepting the ridiculous prices little overpriced, but safer and healthier. I guess maybe it is safer than wiping your hands with the coronavirus. And in a moment of outrageous exploitation, the very real person named PJ suggests you should just buy this hand sanitizer instead of getting tested for coronavirus. Quote, can't afford the coronavirus test kits, but hand sanitizer is affordable. I mean, I, are you kidding me? And if you want some disinfectant wipes, they've got those in, instead. You can get them for the low, low, rock bottom, non-price gougy cost of $19.80 for 25 wipes. Almost a dollar per wipe. Matt Colvin can only wish he could get those sort of New York Times profit margins. And if you think that's too much to spend, how much is too much to pay to, quote, keep your family safe from the coronavirus storm? And while it might be a lot of money for a tiny bit of sanitizer, don't worry, it's, quote, easy to carry. And, quote, takes up little space so you can take it with you. I love how it says it's able to be used at multiple locations. I think the T and the Y are near each other on the keyboard. Multiple locations. It's misspelled because, of course, they rushed to put the site together to protect your family. You bastards, how dare you complain over that? I'm sure the Times would tell you that they were completely unaware that they were running this ad for off-brand coronavirus curing hand sanitizer. And they'll get that removed right away. And to be honest, of course, that does happen on the web and apparently inside their native app as well. Plus, if it will work, I will buy every bottle of J-Swing hand sanitizer they have and sell it to somebody else for double. I'm not above it. If they'd let me, I'd throw a clickable link at the bottom of the screen to sell you crystal meth. Just the kind of guy I am. But I'm also not the one trashing innocent people's lives over selling Clorox wipes. All right. There we go. That's the monologue. Let's look at the reviews. Oliver K writes, regular hand washing and watching Stew-Doo America make best way to stop viruses found in toes and on drinks. It's great. Aka T writes, I try and buy BYE Stew Does USA, but no stock in supermarket. And Sabrina G writes, little overpriced, but safer and healthier. It's great. Whatever. Thank you so much for those completely real reviews from those absolutely living human beings. Joining us is Jason Buttrell. He is the chief researcher and writer for the Glenn Beck program here on Blaze TV. Uh, Jason, are we all going to die? Man, I hope not. No. <laughs> That's gonna be boring yeah, otherwise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have uh, we're not gonna have any good shows after that. Or no, the shows when you're dead. Well, I guess the, the Walking Dead's been pretty popular. That's true. So maybe it will, we'll get to something. Um, you actually kind of went through almost a, like a Walking Dead situation. This uh, what was it? Was it this past weekend? Yeah, on Saturday. It was like so. We've been talking about here a lot, like you know, the coronavirus for most of us. So this is, I think, the actual percentage, like eighty percent of us, aren't even going to really know we have something like that. Yeah, not not major symptoms. Right, not very severe. mild, like Tom Hanks, you know, and his mm -hmm. wife. Mm -hmm. Like they looked fine. Mm -hmm. um, it's, that's probably more like what we're looking at. But the 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 strain on the system is what we're all worried about, mm -hmm. pretty much. And uh, I got a firsthand account of that on Saturday. My wife was in the gym. She's a total gym rat, always in there. Yeah, she me came too. Home and yeah, I see her there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> she um, she came home and she just gushing blood from her eye. Oh my gosh! So like right under her uh, her like eyebrow, she hit her head on at the gym, 
And so I was like, well, we got to go to the emergency room. Of all the times for this to happen, when a pandemic is breaking out, mm -hmm. I did not want to go to the emergency room on this time, at this day. But so we went and it was insane. So we went to a, a, like one of those minor emergency clinics. We pulled up and there's usually no one at this. This is where we always go there. There's usually no one there. We pull up and we had a hard time finding parking. Wow. And I was like, crap. Okay, this, this is, this <laughs> is going to be ugly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we walk in and right when you walk in, they had like stanchions and, you know, like, you know, little things holding the stanchions up to, I think they were actual cones. And with a sign that said, stop here. If you suspect you have coronavirus symptoms, don't move beyond this point. Jeez. And I'm like, baby, maybe I just get some butterfly uh, stitches, you know, and I just do this myself. <laughs> you get just some Jack Daniels, right. throw back a few shots. That's what I was going for. Yeah. She wasn't going for that, though. Mm -hmm. She didn't want a scar on her face. Mm -hmm. So we w there's a line right there. And there instantly the people, the care workers, care, uh, the nurses would come up and give them a mask and then have them sit down. And then we kind of went around that and tried to stay as far away from them as we could. And we went up and we were like, okay, how long is this going to take? And they were like, good luck. You know, like you can see it. the entire waiting room was full of people and pretty much every single one of them had a mask on. So these are the people who think they may have coronavirus. Right. Wow. So they're waiting to get in to see the doctors. And so we just stayed, we stayed, it took forever. And I'm just thinking, imagine if she's bringing me here and I have chest pains, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm literally out of luck at that point. Uh, or think of like a burst appendix or who knows what. Yeah. These are the things that we're worried about when we think about an overrun system. But um, we went back and eventually we got in and I asked the doctor, I was like, what is the deal here? And, and I was like, do any of these people have coronavirus? And he goes, literally none of them have symptoms of coronavirus. Really? He said yeah, literally none of them. The Just only thing- People panicking? People were panicking. Mm -hmm. Like some of them had elevated fever, but none of the other symptoms. So he was like, none of them, like if they called up and called the place and said, hey, I want to get, get tested. If they asked their symptoms, they'd be like, why don't you wait a little bit more and see if you develop some of these other symptoms? Right. Because one of the interesting things about this is if you go and you test positive for coronavirus and you have flu-like symptoms, right? Like, you know, which, which they're pretty similar until you get to the respiratory stuff sort of towards the end when it gets really serious. What they're going to do if they have the test is give you a test, uh, find out if you're coronavirus positive or not. You don't find out right away, but you, you'd, you'd find out eventually. But the other thing they're going to do is send you home and say, relax and drink some ginger ale and have some chicken soup. Yeah. Right. Like there, there's not like a there's no drugs. There's no vaccine. There's no way to stop it. It's basically like treat it like you have the flu. Go home. If it gets really serious, come back if it's ventilation time. Right. But that's pretty much it. The reason why the test is so important is so you're not passing it to a bunch of other people. Right. I uh, what, what sucked is I called just a couple days ago and I called back and I said, uh, did anybody there test positive for the virus? And at first they told me, no, we can't tell you that. And I was like, well, this is dumb because then I could be walking around if I was exposed to it, infecting people. Mm -hmm. And so like, they were like, eventually they were like, I'm, I'm glad I didn't name where I actually went. But they were like, OK, no, we cannot tell you this. But no, no one tested positive that day. <laughs> I was like, woo. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you're clear, right? yeah. especially considering you're not quite Close. six feet. It's about five and a half feet, I think, between us. So we're in danger area here. Um, you know, it's one of these, one of, uh, looking at this whole coronavirus thing, um, we have an interesting um, reaction from uh, the audience. And it's, I, I'd say it's a minor slice of the audience. It's the minority, but a significant minority who, when all this started and Donald Trump was kind of, uh, you know, more flippant with it. Ah, we've got it under control. It's a couple of people from China. We're stopping the travel. We're fine. 
they very much were on our case about, hey, you guys are blowing this out of proportion. It's too, you're making too big of a deal out of this. Why are you trying to sink the president? And that was happening to the media largely, not as much to us, but like that general vibe was there. It was essentially a defense of Trump because they saw him being kind of more flippant with it. And so it was like, well, this isn't that big of a deal. What's, what's, what's been fascinating to me is to watch the obvious change in Donald Trump to a point where he is now saying, there should be no meetings of more than 10 people in the United States for three weeks yeah. or 15 days, whatever it is. He is obviously taking it seriously. Mike Pence is taking it seriously. The doctors surrounding Trump and Pence are taking it seriously. But there's a slice of the audience who, who b- before believed it should be blown off and are still giving me that. They're giving me like, oh, well, the, you know, look, it's 0.0% of 3% of the population and you shouldn't be so worried about it. And it's a, you know, like this is way less people than X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it's less than people that die in car accidents. And it's like, well, very true at this point. It's at the beginning, but that's why you act now. Do you do you see any sympathy to that viewpoint or have you noticed this at all? Or do you think uh, that it's just kind of at this point, just sort of people locked in their own positions? Well, no, I've I've actually seen this a lot. And on the surface, yeah, I mean, it's hard to wrap your brain around because you're like you look at, you know, the fatality rate and that's going to that's going to vary a lot as we get more information. But you're like, okay, you have an easy frame of reference, the flu. And you're like, okay, well, we deal with that. That's just reality. Yeah. You know, we've accepted that. Like every year you're like, yeah, I'm going to get the flu. Who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, I get, a, I get a week or two off work. No big deal. But the problem with this thing is that, and I think that's exactly where the president was coming from in the beginning too. Yeah. And, and I like, think it was, it was understandable, honestly, for him at the beginning. And people, right. the left is bashing him over that, like that he was too flippant at the beginning. But I feel like that was an understandable instinct. Most people felt that way at the beginning. Yeah. Well, the, the, the spread of that, the spread of this virus is hard to, that's what's hard to wrap your brain around also. Because when you're looking at, and again, you talk about small percentages of people, 80% of the people uh, of us will not have to do anything. And we probably won't even get a test. We won't even know we had it. Mm-hmm. We're just going to have to stay home from work a week or two, you know, and self-quarantine, thinking, hey, maybe I do have the, a, bad, a minor case of the flu or a minor coronavirus, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's most of us. Mm-hmm. But then there's about, what, it's like 15% that will actually have to go to the hospital. And that's, that's a, now remember, 15% hospital I mean, the 80 percent is non-severe symptoms, but that could be a, a flu that knocks you out, uh, you know, might, maybe is a normal flu, which right. is still pretty significant. Going to the hospital is like that's a pretty serious flu. That's a big step. Yeah. yeah. And then and then on and then on that, I think it was what is it? Three percent or something like that. And then we're, we're talking about entire population numbers yeah. here. So of three hundred and thirty million people. Um, three three percent of them will be actually in the ICU. So some people will be so it was yeah, yeah. vast. That's a that's a pretty big percentage of 330 million people that will have to be in a bed. Now also think about they're expecting 4.8 million. These numbers are insane. I've cross-tracked them with the American uh, Hospital Association. 4.8 million uh, admissions into hospitals all over the country in two months. That's what they're preparing for right now. Wow. That's not hyperbole. That's mm-hmm. not politics. That's that's what the doctors are preparing for. And that's why you, why Trump is taking it seriously. And he should. Right. There's only three hundred and thirty thousand hospital beds that are open at this very moment. Wow. Now, they're, now somehow they have to turn three hundred and thirty thousand into four point eight million. Now, you know why some of the you know, like what was that act that the president signed today? That yeah, wartime the act? defense uh, production act or whatever, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which they take it seriously. This is the, I mean, it doesn't happen all that often. Um, they're trying to get the, the private sector to work with them. These tests are now coming out. The tests. I, they did start slow, and there is going to be some time in the future where you can look back and say, what did we get wrong there at the beginning? There were some things. 
The, the, the testing is ramped up. We've now about 60,000 people have tested. That's ramping up. We're doing 10,000, 15,000 a day now. We're getting there, you know. The, the testing, though, is interesting to me, too, though, because mm -hmm. if, was it one in six cases would actually tell you an actual real number? The, the initial tests that were coming from data from China and the WHO, yeah. mm -hmm. only one in six. In fact, the doctor that died over there, remember the first whistleblower, yeah. that mm -hmm. doctor? Mm -hmm. So he tested multiple times negative. Wow. He's a doctor. Yeah. Might be assisting in some of these yeah. tests <laughs> multiple times. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he took one test probably at the last minute. He's like, dude, I'm not getting better. Yeah. Finally, he was like, oh, wow, I've had it this entire time and he died yeah no it's true i mean I, I don't think there's much criticism you know it didn't work right their initial version of the test that we tried to do on our own didn't wind up working so you're always going to get second guess but going to the cdc going to america for a test i don't have a problem with that honestly like i mean not trusting their test which did yeah. have some problems with reliability where they what they didn't do right at the beginning was freeing up and really recognizing how urgent this was and, and letting the private sector go and create these yes. tests themselves and start manufacturing them they had all sorts of layers of bureaucracy which is what's so amazing about this is the left is using this as if it's a good point for them yeah we, we, what we did is treat it like we had single-payer health care we went to the cdc and we made them do everything yeah we didn't let the private sector do anything and we so instead of doing that places like south korea which do have single-payer but decided to embrace the free market to get these tests produced wound up having a lot of tests and it wound up working out better for them they've bent the curve the right way but again this is about acceleration of pace right if you start and you do these drastic things early you wind up not having that exponential rise. If you don't do them early, um, you you wind up being Italy, you wind up being France, you wind up being Spain, where you're having massive, massive problems. I mean, thousands of people are dying. So Italy is a much, obviously, a much smaller country than China. It's about to pass it in total deaths. Yeah, it's about to pass it. All places that have a single payer healthcare type system. Yeah, shocking. Their systems can't handle this type of workload. You would think that. I mean, and again, they're using that as a way to say, look, see, this is why we need single payer healthcare. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And the places where it has single payer, like China and all these other places, it's awful. Yeah. No, it's true. I, we, we did a whole thing on AOC's analysis of this this week, and it's ugh, you got to go back and watch it if you, <laughs> if you happen to have time. Let me get into, um, uh, I think, a big part of this, uh, which is China. You know, the racial part of this, I don't think, maybe we'll have a little time to get into that, but, you know, the Wuhan virus, it's obviously ridiculous that they're saying it's it's racist. He's obviously trolling as well. I mean, like, yeah. it's kind of a sideshow to me on this one. What isn't a sideshow, though, is China, is China, who really did hurt the world by their actions early on in this. I mean, they really misled the world. They hid the truth, and it's costing thousands of lives. This is absolutely insane, and there has to be, I don't know, after all this is done, the entire world has to come together to lobby charges against China because what they have done is absolutely insane. I've been I've been piecing together a timeline on just the different propaganda and disinformation that they've been doing on this. And way back in, uh, there's a story that's just starting to get circulated. The reason it's just now starting to get circulated is because Chinese officials have been trying to kill this story both in the country and internationally. Mm -hmm. But they've been purposely censoring this. But in late December. There was an independent, uh, uh, well, let me back up. In late December, there was a, uh, a lab that had been studying this virus. They pretty much knew every single thing about it. Right as they were starting to publish some of their information amongst you know, the Communist Party there, an official came from the government, came over and said, stop what you're doing, destroy everything, mm -hmm. um, destroy all your records, you will not talk about this, plus you're going to help us to suppress this information. And again, you, you, I'll, I'll tweet out this story uh, later after the show. Incredible. But you can read the entire thing. You're like, oh, my gosh. Um, literally about a week later, the, they allowed the U.S. CDC to come into the country. This is around, I think, January 8th. 
and the US CDC went, they purposely withheld a key uh, point uh, fact about the, the information. And that was that the hospital workers were catching the virus that weren't even really in close proximity to the, uh, mm. to the actual patients. They were catching the virus. Now, why did they withhold that? Because that means there's actual human-to-human -human, um, uh, transmission, and this thing is a lot more contagious than they're letting on. They withheld that. Now, a few, a few days later, I think it was around January 14th, they delivered their information to the WHO, and the WHO even tweeted this. I don't know, you, uh, we might even have this tweet. Yeah, I think we do. They, they tweeted this out saying that there specifically was not, of the information that they found, they were not, uh, this disease is not transmitted human to human. Yeah, no clear evidence of human to human transmission of the novel coronavirus. That is insane. That's January 14th. Mm. They, but they had this virus for about a month and they knew and they withheld the information from the CDC just about a week before that. Mm. Now, what happened? There were no travel restrictions. Flights continued to go, many of them to Italy. I mean, if you're in the Italian government right now, you have to be livid. Oh, my gosh. We d ourselves didn't do a travel restriction and halt flights until what? March 1st? Was it that late? Wow. Yeah, that's so another two weeks. No wonder you have these things in like Seattle. I mean, it's, this is, they are to blame. They lied about this and then tons of people have died now. And to make it worse, they're now uh, leaking false reports about the U.S. military planting the virus. Uh, they're, they're, they've launched a propaganda campaign to push the blame down the road. They, they obviously know they're, they're in trouble here when all this clears up. The, their propaganda campaign and, and the, the media here has, I cannot believe it, especially places like the Atlantic, CNN. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So this is Soviet-style disinformation. So do I have time to explain that? Yeah, really give quick? me about. You got about a minute. Okay. So misinformation is if they just lie, and then we all know they lie, and like whatever they deny something. Disinformation is that they purposely feed uh, a line, like don't call it uh, coronavirus or Wuhan, call it COVID nineteen or yeah. whatever, mm -hmm. where they feed that to a trusted source, like the Atlantic, like see it. Okay, maybe CNN's less uh, believable, <laughs> but but you know, get what I'm talking about. The American media, we're supposed yeah. to trust them. Mm -hmm. They get them to say it for them. And that's exactly what's happening now. Anyone uh, talking about don't call it Corona, uh, Wuhan virus or whatever, or China virus, that's coming directly from the Communist Party in China. They're doing their bidding for them. Yeah, you know, it, the funny thing about that is I don't think anyone was calling it that. People were calling it coronavirus, and they, were, and then they had started to call it COVID-19 a little bit. At the very beginning, a lot of people were calling it Wuhan virus, including everybody in the media, yeah. because that's you know what you do. You name it after the place kind of where it was discovered and what's really affecting. But I think over time, it, it kind of already naturally sort of changed to coronavirus. And some people were calling it COVID-19, which is you know, kind of the, just the, the boring scientific name. I, I, like it became an issue after it wasn't an issue anymore. And I think that's one 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 Republicans uh, in, a, in a tweet mentioned Wuhan virus and it blew up into this big like woke social justice warriors sort of thing. And it is it's feeding it directly into what the Chinese government wants. And they are responsible for this unleashing this on the world. And like there's right now is not probably the time to worry about who's responsible for it. We need to get past it. Yeah. But afterwards, this has to happen. Has to. They have to be held responsible for this. All right. We've gone really long here. Jason Buttrill, thanks so much for coming on the program. You bet. All right. Back in a second. You know, when I take a moment away from thinking about what disease I may or may not have, uh, I, I think about the election and I think about how all of this is going to affect the election. And two things sort of hit me at the same time. Number one, it's going to be really hard for Donald Trump to be reelected if the economy is in shambles. Uh, some of the estimates as to what is coming up 
for the rest of the year are really, really dark. And, you know, maybe that won't happen. But if it does, it's going to be really hard. How does a president, uh, you know, this isn't his fault. Obviously, he, didn't, <laughs> he did not create the Wuhan virus. But no matter what, when the country is not in good shape, usually incumbents are not rewarded for it, whether it's his fault or not. Uh, and, I, you know, will this work? Will he be able to win re-election? I mean, if you looked on it kind of on its face, you'd say probably not if, if, the, if the economy does what they think it's going to do. On the other hand, he's facing Joe Biden. I mean, that's, that's who the Democrats came up with. Joe Biden. We've come to the point now where I'm not even looking at the primaries anymore. They're over. Uh, Joe Biden is the nominee, barring anything. I, mean, I keep saying this, uh, barring anything crazy. I mean, we, we've shut down the entire economy in two weeks, so I, anything can happen. But Joe Biden is, has the nomination under any normal circumstance. Uh, now I have all my tabs with the polling and everything. I've changed them over to the general election polling. It's time. The, the Sanders thing is over, thankfully. And thank God, especially considering what has gone on here in the past few weeks, that Joe Biden uh, is the nominee instead of Bernie Sanders. Now, Biden would be a terrible president, a remarkably horrible president. He doesn't even seem to have the ability to do the job, to speak sentences, to know where he is, to, 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 to you know, think to himself if, whether he's covered in wild ferrets or not. I mean, he really doesn't have much of a sense of reality. But Bernie Sanders... Uh, he is an ideologue, and I do not want him anywhere near the presidency. Um, look at this moment, though, from Joe Biden. This is at the end of a speech. He's trying to reach out to the Bernie Sanders people and say, look, you know, come along to my side. I know you don't really like me, but do it anyway. And then he ends the speech. It's just incredibly awkward. Watch. Thank you all. Thank you all for listening. Stands there staring at the camera. Here comes Joe. Oh. Oh, kind of a half hug. She Thanks. goes for the kiss. He Thanks. turns his head. She continues Thanks. to look at the... He can, looks at the camera still. Okay. Okay. What? Why? What is it with this? This has been a weird campaign for this sort of stuff. Trump did the Oval Office speech where they kind of left the camera on for a little bit when they weren't supposed to. Can we turn the cameras off? Is that something that we can do after speeches? Uh, Biden is... The thing about Biden is that like he kind of always seems like he's processing something, you know? Um, he's always like he wants to spit something out and just can't figure out what it is. He's like a, an older computer. You know, you're if you ever written a, written a document on like the cloud and sometimes you type a bunch of letters and nothing happens and you know it's going to come. And then all of a sudden all the letters spit out at once and you realize you spelled like three words wrong because you couldn't see the letters being typed. That's how his brain seems to work. Like it's there and you can kind of see him getting close to it. But then... It just sort of stops and, and, you know, it doesn't quite go. And he's typing and he, the words should be coming out. And then they all just kind of blurt out at the same time. And many of them are misspelled. That's sort of the Joe Biden way of running a campaign. I'm not sure it's going to work. Um, it's interesting to watch all this happen because it's one of the things I've been talking about for a while is if you want to win an election in this environment, what you need to portray more than anything is competence. You don't need to be able to you don't need to solve every problem. You don't need to make sure that the economy doesn't go down or that nobody gets unemployed. We all know this is going to happen here. I mean, we've seen how extreme this can be. You just have to show competence, exude competence. You're on top of all of it. Here's the expert for this. Here's the expert for this. I know this. Don't worry about this. You should worry about that. You have to really be on top of it. And it's hard to do. It's easy to say 
you need to be on top of every little bit of this. But it's a very complicated thing. That's why I, I always think of uh, ceding to the experts is a good idea. When it comes up to a medical question, don't even try to answer. Just be like, let me, let me bring up Fauci, my man, my man uh, Tony. He's going to tell you all about it. And Tony's been talking about this stuff forever. He comes off as very confident. And it's one of those things, I think, that calms the country. Uh, Trump uh, kind of got off to a little bit of a rocky start, I think, with, with his speeches. But uh, his press conferences lately, I think, have been much better. He's seemed to kind of realize, I think, the gravity of the situation. Now the media is going back and looking at all of his old comments and saying, look, you didn't take this seriously. That's going to be coming in ads. Prepare yourself for it. That's going to be their main line of attack, assuming this uh, this thing blows up to into what it is projected to be. Um, Rand Paul uh, voted uh, against the emergency stimulus package that came out. This is a tough one. Uh, what do you do with this? You know, it's you know, a lot, a lot of the, the big attack right now is there's no libertarians in a pandemic. Everyone wants big government in a pandemic. No libertarians in a pandemic. I mean, look, there are libertarians in a pandemic. I'm a libertarian leaning guy. I want the government basically doing nothing. I want them to do nothing. I want them to national defense. I want uh, courts, you know, some law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could show up in the, the Capitol once in a while. Not too much, though. Stay home. Do things in your own district. Don't go there that often. But when it comes to a pandemic, to me, this is straight out national defense. It's the type of thing that you are supposed to be prepared for. And as a, a person who leans libertarian, it's quite easy to point out that you know, all the other stuff you say you're supposed to be doing, all the money that you waste, we could have been using that now. This would be the time that, you know, when, you, when you're a government and you say the, the best course of action is you need to close your bar, you need to close your restaurant. It's not, I'm sorry, I apologize, this is the way it's going to be. When you're telling, you, telling business owners that, you're saying, hey, you got to lay off these workers, you can't, they can't come in. That's not them doing that that's not them making a mistake it's not a bank overstretching uh, on how much they're loaning and getting burned by it and buying all sorts of cdos and such this is you telling them they can't do the thing they're supposed to do so yes there's a role for government there i think um i know not everybody agrees with that but this is the one thing they're supposed to do and then of course it's the one thing they're not doing that's one going to be another big battle once we get through this prepare for the next one this is not a once in a lifetime thing feels like a once in a lifetime thing because it's hit here really only once in a lifetime. There's been other big, uh, big uh, issues when it comes to pandemics here in the United States, uh, over, you know, in my lifetime. But this looks like it's going to be the biggest one. It's not quite there yet, but the pace of it is incredibly intimidating. So prepare for the next one. Every expert will tell you the next one is coming. They also tell you to wash your hands. It's one of the biggest things you can do. Make sure you wash your hands for 417 minutes every day. Uh, so that's it. It's an easy request. Watch um, any one of the Lord of the Rings movies while you're washing your hands. That's it. That's all you got to do. It's, it's, it's very easy and it'll help spread the uh, stop spreading the virus. The other thing they tell you to do um, is uh, when you go to the bathroom, first you wash your hands. Secondly, you turn off your microphone if you happen to be sitting at a city council meeting and you're the mayor. That's something that you Please. should do as well. Watch deadly infections there's something we can do about it and what we can do is call on represent a governmental representatives i mean i feel so that are higher one up the chain of <laughs> i mean it's sophomoric but it actually happened i mean and, and ask for action at the federal level um i am um aware of Mr. Brainerd's concerns that he raised last time. And there were there would be instances where I actually agree you know that coming. we should take action locally first. But 
there are not any um, KFO operations in Georgetown, so for us to just say it within the city limits. Would be... <laughs> I mean, is he done? He flushed already. Why is it still happening? Would be an empty gesture. Um... <laughs> she so keep it together. And also, these diseases. <laughs> They're trying to talk about COVID-19. Don't know any boundaries. So a state-by-state -state approach would just mean that the... <laughs> I mean, uh, this happened in The Naked Gun. It happened on Patton's, too, with Jeffy, if you remember as well, when he went to the bathroom. Though he didn't do it like that. That is... For, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I feel like he should go to a doctor. I don't know if he has COVID-19. He's got something. There's something going on in the gastrointestinal intestinal thing that just needs to be worked out. Um, so he needs to work on that. And I give a lot of credit to the to the woman who is trying to talk seriously about it, a deadly virus. Just just powering through all the farting. That is an impressive move. And I, I look, it's hard to keep it together in that moment. And it's you know, you don't want to be on television laughing in the middle of the covid-19 thing. But uh, she she it's totally justified. I don't know what else you're supposed to do. I didn't hear did not hear the hand washing. Now, there was an edit there. Maybe the hand-washing happened. We did not hear it. I kind of wanted to see, too, when they told him, hey, dude, you just been, we, we heard your whole movement on, on the speakers. I mean, can you turn your mic off next time? We didn't see that moment. Hopefully, another video comes out and we can reveal that and bring it to you. All the important news right here on Stu Does America. Back in a second. So I've got some good news and some bad news. Which one do you want? Vote now. Okay, you picked the bad news. Congratulations. You, uh, you're a glutton for punishment. Uh, this is, every once in a while, one of these moments happens on a business channel, and you kind of stop and think, what did I just hear? Did he just say what I thought he said? This is uh, a top market uh, analyst, uh, Bill Ackman. He's been around for a very long time, big, well-known uh, trader and a guy who, you know, appears on CNBC here and there and, and talks about his picks for the economy. He's been he's a little scared about what's going on right now. And he's not alone in that. A lot of people are. Uh, you've seen the markets. I mean, it's been sell off after sell off after sell off. It's a scary time in the markets. Let's be honest about it. Uh, you could say, oh, this is being overblown. Well, it may be being overblown, but separate that out from all of the things that are happening because you think it's overblown. Let's just say nobody dies from the coronavirus. Let's say we find out later they all choked on lollipops and it was actually nothing the entire time. Well, we've had all this stuff canceled. We've got the markets down thousands and thousands and thousands of points. We've got elections being delayed. We have countries being closed. Forget the actual disease for a second and just look at the, the context here. All that other stuff is big enough as it is. It's already the biggest story we've ever dealt with, probably in our lifetimes. Um, here is Ackman, though. He's talking about what he sees for the economy, in particular in the travel industry. Watch. If we allow this to continue the way we allow it to continue, okay, every hotel company in the world okay, is done. Because okay? no business can survive a period of 18 months without revenue. Okay? And that's, stick with me, and that's what happens, okay, when, if you operate the way we're operating now, okay? Now, let me give you, so that's a very, very bearish thought, okay? <laughs> yeah. And I've been super bearish, 
but I got bullish. Okay, and the reason why I got bullish, and I've been aggressively buying stocks, including Hilton, today. Okay, and I've been buying all the way down uh, Hilton, restaurant brands, Starbucks. You know, walk your way through our. And the only stocks I'm not buying are companies we're on the board and I'm restricted. Um, but the reason why is the only answer for the world is to shut the world for 30 days. Shut the world for 30 days. Uh, by the way, he said uh, before this clip. It's going to zero, okay, along with every other hotel company in the world. He's talking about Hilton. It's going to zero. Now, as you heard in the clarification there, he does say that means if we didn't do anything and this ravaged us for 18 months, which is a much different scenario than we're expecting, hopefully. He did wind up clearing this up on Twitter a little bit. He says, some investors have been confused by my remarks. To clarify, I'm confident the president will do the right thing in temporarily shutting down the country and closing the borders. If that happens, we can win the war against this virus and the markets and the economy will soar. I mean, we're doing some version of that. Uh, we are not quite closing down the country. Um, and I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with this, but really it's the best way forward as far as um, getting rid of the, the spread of the virus. It's just shown to be true in, in place after place. The only exception to this is the South Korean model where they didn't close the country. They just kept everybody under really tight, way unconstitutional surveillance. It would be things that we would not be comfortable with uh, in the United States, but you get comfortable with a lot of stuff when people are dying or you have to stay in your house for six months. So we may wind up doing some of that thing. Maybe they'll make it opt in and we'll be comfortable with it. I don't know. We have some real important questions to answer here in the next few months. That's the bad news. Let me give you the good news, though. On the other side, this is from The Blaze. Aaron Cullen writes this story. Three separate medical studies have found a potentially effective treatment for the coronavirus that could also be useful in preventing infections in some cases. The coronavirus uh, is viewed as a particularly potent threat because there is currently no medical treatment and no preventative vaccine. So any hope of slowing down the spread and death rate could be significant. Uh, what they find is this uh, uh, particular drug. It's an anti-malarial drug used for prevention of malaria available in the United States widely by, per, uh, by prescription. can be taken uh, safely by men and women of all ages, including pregnant women. And doctors in China and South Korea have observed that the coronavirus patients treated with this particular drug reduced fever and better uh, and had better lung uh, uh, CT images. And so far, research has not found any negative effects of the treatment. So this is a potential positive. Maybe there's something here. You know, we the vaccine is what we always focus on. And that's understandable because that's the that's the end of this. We get the vaccine and we're going to knock this down to a smaller level. That's not going to be a threat. We're not going to be closing the economy. Uh, every year because of it. But the other side of this is just treatment. If what we can do is the people going to the hospital can get treatment and we can turn around most of those cases, it's another it's a much faster way to get to the end of this particular threat. All we have to do is find a way to minimize those symptoms so that people aren't dying. And, you know, if it's a it's a if it's a rough flu, it's one thing. It's another thing when, you know, as we talked about with, uh, you know, uh, with uh, Jason Buttrell, this is one of those things where you have a situation that a lot of this stuff, um, you know, 15, 20 percent is severe. If you just minimize that, you're going to go a long way into making this horrific tragedy into just a really rough patch. Back in a second. Hey, 
Hey, if you happen to be watching on Pluto TV, welcome. We're new here. Thanks for watching. We appreciate it. Up next, the one, the only, Mr. Glenn Beck. We'll see you tomorrow.